and welcome to this podcast from Standard Chartered. We're going to go behind the scenes to meet two senior leaders in the credit market space. We'll explore the origin stories of their careers, how they surmount the challenges of senior leadership, and of course, why they do what they do. These sorts of questions always intrigue me. Certainly the answers do. Let me introduce our guests from Standard Chartered. Henrik Raba joins us. He's global head of credit markets. And Ayla Cravey, who is Chief Sustainable Finance Advisor at the European Investment Bank. Ayla, as I understand it, you didn't actually start out with a strong desire to go into the world of finance. So what's the story? In my time, at least, very few people wanted to go into finance because finance as a profession as it is today did not even exist when I was 18 years old looking for the university. I only knew what I did not want to do. I knew that I did not want to become a doctor. I knew that I did not want to become a judge or a lawyer, which were usually for a girl of that age who had been relatively good at school, were the usual options that anybody would suggest. And I thought, nah, nah, neither of those. So I went to the university to study economics, which it gives a lot of possibilities and it gives you some time to think. And then how I ended in banking. Well, I had been doing several summer jobs when I was young. And one summer I worked in a bank. And I thought, oh, this is pretty nice. Actually, this is interesting. I like numbers and banking and finance when I really got into there to work, although it was pretty simple work, of course, for a summer trainee. But I thought the whole world looked like, oh, this is interesting. Let's move on to Henrik. How about you? What is your origin story when it comes to getting into this career? I was always very keen on markets. And even through my university days, did some internships at various uh, organizations. I really liked how the markets businesses interacted with politics and the fact that it's always changing. Every day is something new going on. So that excited me. When I left school, I had quite a strong view of where I wanted to go and was fortunate to end up in that area. Even throughout my career, what's been so exciting is that it's constantly evolving and changing. Most recently, for example, has been the major expansion of ESG finance and the strong focus of our employees and our markets around helping uh, the world around ESG initiatives. I think that's going to be something that's always going to continue in some of the financial institution businesses. So hopefully we'll continue to attract talent in many years going forward. I became a financial news journalist for the same reason. I really enjoyed that dynamic between the psychology of human beings and then what happens in the markets. Out of curiosity, what were the subjects that you studied to make sure that you were on that track? At university, I studied liberal arts, but my major was economics. I think for the markets businesses, there isn't really an ideal course. Either you do economics or you do the business degree. Today, in our businesses, we actually hire from a much broader range of backgrounds, including the digital space and people with quant skills or computer skills are in very strong demand. Those were areas that didn't really exist when I started my banking career. As we have just covered a bit of how it all started, Ayla, let's talk about where you are now. You have this title, Chief Sustainable Finance Advisor. When you tell people that's what you do, do they raise an eyebrow and say, can you explain? What does that actually mean? 
is a thought process that has been going on for a few years for me that what I was doing was on the one hand uh, managing the capital markets team of the EIB. At the same time, the sustainable finance has been taking more and more of my time and my agenda. Last summer, I decided to focus only on the sustainable finance. My work is very much anchored to this uh, platform for sustainable finance, which is the European Commission's permanent expert group for advising about anything and everything in sustainable finance. Henrik, when you're in a room of new acquaintances, and you tell them, well, I'm global head of credit markets, standard chartered. Do they instantly know what that is or do you have to explain yourself to people? Within our business, the credit markets business captures a very broad range of products and transactions from credit trading, where we buy and sell securities all the way through to financing of ships. Uh, that makes it very exciting. I think for those individuals who know more about financial markets, they'll know that credit is the other side of the FX and rate businesses. But they're, of course, naturally very interlinked. I see myself also in a leadership capacity in terms of mentoring some of our colleagues and some of our new talent that's joining. In some other capacities I have is helping on the net zero initiative that we have at Standard Chartered and also driving some of our culture change. When I think of credit markets, I think of an image of a web, a lot of interconnected networks that keep things moving. It's like grease in the wheels of the global economy almost. I'm sure you have witnessed a lot of change over the last 20 years or so. Amidst that, what have been the biggest changes for you, Henrik? The way we work has clearly changed considerably. Part of that's been digitization with more advanced computers or trading systems, the way to execute transactions has changed to some extent, and also more recently, where we work has changed. Post-COVID, many people now have flexi-working schemes, so working part of the time from different locations than the office. So pretty much all aspects of the role have changed over the last 20 years. I think as ways that organizations operate also in terms of what they finance has changed. We do finance from aircraft to ships to building uh, wind farms or solar, the development of technology, the large tech companies, all of them have required large-scale financing. That has come through banks or other intermediaries. And clearly, some of the most exciting projects that we do when we're assisting communities or countries, for example, working with EIB, we've done some really interesting things in Africa. And I don't think that's always recognized by people who are outside the industry. And that's some of the positive change that we can do. And it's probably the most exciting part of the role. A part of learning is working your way through challenges. What are some of the biggest ones you've had to deal with? The past 15 years, there have been just a huge ride up and down learning curve, learning also to react very quickly and just going with it. It started with a global financial crisis. And if you look at also this from the credit perspective, before the financial crisis started, half of the world were AAA, for example. We had still differences in pricing. You could get a AAA 20 basis points cheaper or 25 basis points more expensive, whatever the investors wanted. At that time, we were talking about what is actually the role of multilateral banks and do we need them anymore? Private sector can take care of everything and, and we don't need them. It was a bit difficult to justify why should you be there at AAA institution and uh, pretend to do something that some other people would do better probably. Then came the global financial crisis. We lost, I think, 80% of the AAAs almost overnight, first of all. And then we came to the situation where 
credit became very tangible and the markets became almost oversensitive to it. They panicked about everything and huge differences exploded between different names. Then we went into the European crisis, which of course, working at EIB on the funding side, we felt that very, very concretely. And then we went into the situation where no matter you were AAA, we were trading 80 basis points wider than some other AAAs in the world. This was the oversensitive period in terms of credit. People saw big differences even when there were none. Every little rumor started by anybody in their garage took the market left or right with huge swings. And then for the past several years, central banks have been flooding the market with money, first for one reason, then for another reason, the pandemic. And now there's no differentiation whatsoever. AAA and B have more or less the same cost uh, or the same yield to investors. There's this central bank put that has been there in the market now for several years, and billions go and billions come. There's been this roller coaster of sensitivity to credit and the pricing of credit, which has been sometimes zero, sometimes hundred, and anything in between. I think one th- thing one has learned is that the surprises can come any day. I mean, pandemic hit us like we, we did not see that coming at all. Anything can happen overnight, and that's what you need to be prepared for. So that, I think, is the biggest lesson if I want to simplify things uh, over the past 10, 15 years. There's a lot of misinformation out there, and sometimes that can have an impact, can't it? I think one can just stick to the facts, stick to the truths. I remember in autumn 2011, when the European sovereign debt crisis was at one of its worst phases, and EIB was rumored that we will recapitalize all the banks in Europe, 200 billion euro job. And we had at the time 50 billion of own funds, which anybody looking at the numbers would have realized that this is mission impossible. You can't do that. But we tried to say, no, we are not going to do it. And that's not our job. Nobody listened. And then in December 2011, when we announced that, well, next year we intend to borrow 60 billion, which was about 140 billion less than people expected, that's when people sort of dropped the pen and said, hang on a minute, they can't be recapitalizing the bank because this is all they're going to need. You could only come up with a hard fact. That's when people listened, but any denials did not work. I think that's what the financial journalist or any journalist jobs really is to stick to the facts and dig out sometimes the facts which are not at the surface. But really sticking to the facts, we are all fighting, I think, in a huge maelstrom of misinformation these days. Henrik, with that, sometimes are there those stomach-turning moments? You wake up to headlines and you think, right, how are we going to handle this? On a daily basis, there are various headlines, but there are over a career a few major events that really drive markets. We had the dot-com area and then the crash of that, and that had a long-lasting effect. We had the great financial crisis which had a really material impact both on the economy, but the whole banking sector changed regulations for the following 10 year, changed how we operate, how we execute transactions. The pandemic was another big shock. It was probably the first time in the last 30 years that the major event wasn't driven by something underlying political or economically developed. That was something really new for everyone to challenge and tackle. The markets and everyone has become a lot more agile. And at the core of that is information flows. And in the integrity of information flow has become ever more challenging to navigate. As digital has expanded, everyone's got access to mobiles and various platforms. Increasingly, you know, blog sites have become really important area. And we saw that in the US with the mean stocks and how a completely different investor base appeared through an event and started taking a different approach to investing. 
it adds a new area of complexity. But I always look out for these big events. They seem to come, you know, one or two every 10 years. They are really what shape the future. And that latching onto that is, is really important. And I think the current big event is actually around ESG. That is a global movement that won't only impact financing investors and banks and everyone, but it's globally going to have a really strong momentum behind it and will shape things for the next 10 to 20 years. With that, I'm going to pivot slightly to talking about some other really important things that Standard Chartered's doing. Your apprentice program is really interesting because it's turning the graduate training paradigm on its head. Tell us a bit about it. The apprenticeship program is part of many of the things we've discussed on this podcast already in terms of markets are changing, the skill sets are changing, the whole dynamics of the industry are changing. So attracting new talent into a business is really important. That was one of the reasons why we started the apprenticeship program. Clearly also we want to access a more diverse group of talent and providing opportunities to individuals that may not necessarily previously have had access is something we wanted to really do. At the core of the apprenticeship program was designed specifically for financial markets, for trading, sales and origination roles. Working within our own teams, we came up with the skills that would make a strong individual in those roles. And then we put aside people's backgrounds or CVs and opened it up for applications. And the interview process was really interesting because we focused only on the skills. The interviewers didn't have the CVs, they didn't know people's backgrounds, and we chose purely on skill set. And that kicked off the apprenticeship program with six joining in London, and now they're going through the actual technical training. The program has been such a success in the UK that we've now expanded it to cover other areas of our business. There could be some school leavers who potentially would find it difficult to find employment. The early parts of the pandemic, the economic backdrop looked very dire. Those school leavers may not have had the same opportunities that the previous years had. So we want to specifically try and target that cohort. We're really happy how they've joined and the enthusiasm and energy of this team is simply amazing. One of the things the program is doing is eliminating a lot of bias because you're not looking at background, you're just looking at skills, aren't you? And that's quite inspiring in today's age. With that, Ayla, what inspires you about the work that you're doing and the world that we're living in at the moment. In this new role in particular, when I can focus on the ESG, looking from a very uh, personal perspective, you just learn so much every day. It's like a gigantic onion that you peel and there's always another layer to peel. I find this really inspiring, trying to improve things from my little corner of the world, whatever can be done. And congratulations for your internship uh, program. I totally by coincidence happened to see some comments in social media about this school dropouts that you have uh, taken on board. And I thought that's brilliant because that's another angle of diversity that people don't think of. We think of gender diversity, we think of ethnic diversity, but that is one angle that is much, much more rarely thought about. So congratulations about that. Henrik, that must feel really good to get that feedback from Ayla. I think it's fantastic. We're also working to encourage other financial institutions to follow us. So we hope we can also start a broader movement around this. The next phase that we're going to have is we're going to geographically expand it into some of our markets. I think what's also really interesting as we talk about talent, new people entering, and ESG is actually these two areas combine very well. The fastest growing area of finance right now is in the ESG space. And we would encourage everyone to look at that 
and to consider careers with banking organizations because they can make real impact around what they're passionate about through those types of roles. And we're very open to developing these types of solutions globally and champion them with our partners. I want to draw it back to the two of you as we close. What keeps it all ticking for you? What is your motivation? What keeps you interested every single day? Let's start with you, Henrik. For me, it's that there's something new every day. We have new people joining the organization all the time. It's fantastic to see them developing their careers and growing up and developing new skill sets, taking on new challenges. But it's also exciting to be able to be agile within that. So have a broad enough remit and the ability to be agile and keep it fresh. And that's what motivates me. Henrik, if a young aspiring leader came to you and said, oh, Mr. Raba, if you had to give me a little bit of advice about how to be a good leader, what would you say to them? I think you need to be a good listener to begin with and then tackle the problems head on. Also be a strong communicator. Those are really important skills. And actually, communication skills are increasingly important, even much more so than they were 10, 20 years ago, because a lot is about communication now and delivering your view or your decision in a clear, concise manner. When they join our organization, get to know our global footprint, which is very diverse, spend time to understand an organization and integrate, and the early years particularly learn as much as you can, and then you can start deploying that. First of all, Ayla, let's just talk about what keeps it all ticking for you. How do you stay interested? After 35 years of work in finance, I'm still learning something every day. And I think without that, I would have already changed jobs. This whole ESG, green, sustainable finance, it's a gift that keeps giving every day, every month, every week. And that is probably what keeps me going. If you had to give other potential senior leaders any advice about how to keep it all together, what would you say to them? One thing for a leader is very important is to be fair. Sometimes you need to be tough, sometimes you can be easygoing, but you always need to be fair because that's what people respect and understand. And be authentic because we are not all made with the same mold. If you try to be something else and you are not, then you will fail miserably one day. Be fair and be authentic. And the rest is our skills that many of us can learn on the way. Thanks for sharing all those stories, for your advice. I've certainly learned a lot about leadership and about life and about credit markets too. Thank you both, Henrik and Ayla. I'm Anisha Tank. And until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.